Welcome to the podcast of Okotoks Calvary Fellowship. Please enjoy as Pastor John opens up the word. Okay, well if you turn with me in your Bibles to Ruth chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4. It's Ruth's wedding day. And everybody loves a wedding, right? And we know in this particular case who the bride's going to be. But the question we don't know yet is who's the groom going to be? And last week we saw that Ruth made her bold appeal to Boaz, her goel, her kinsman. And she asked him to marry her in order to fulfill the law. That gave her the right to ask him, and it also gave Boaz the responsibility to marry Ruth and to give her children to perpetuate the bloodline of his deceased relative, Elimelech. And as we concluded last time, Boaz had consented to do so. But in a twist befitting of a Hollywood love story, we learn that there happens to be an even closer Goel or kinsman than Boaz. And so that would mean that he would have first right of refusal, so to speak, to fulfill that role and responsibility unless he chose to turn it down. Boaz would not have that opportunity to marry Ruth. Now, it's important to add that there was far more to this role of Goel than merely giving Ruth children to continue the bloodline. The Goel had the responsibility for the property of the family. He was responsible for the people in the family. He was responsible for the prosperity of the family and then he was also responsible for the posterity to provide descendants for the family and it was a very special responsibility to take care of them but either way Ruth will be getting married today so are you ready for this exciting conclusion well you guys are a little more awake without an hour's sleep than the kids were a second ago Verse 1 says, Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the closer relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Come aside, friend. Sit down here. So he came aside and sat down. And as we know, Boaz was a good, godly man who wouldn't skirt the law or cut corners. And he had said to Ruth, if I'm going to marry you, we're going to do it the right way. And the righteous way is that this guy will have to turn you down before I can marry you. So we see here in verse 1 that Boaz goes to the gate and he sat down there. And lo and behold, this close relative of whom Boaz had spoken of walks by. So Boaz takes him aside and asks the man to sit down. Now, 
Boaz had made a plan as to how he wants to speak to this man, and his goal was to see if he can get this man to refuse Ruth. So what does he do first? Well, he went down, look at in verse 1, it says he went down and sat down uh, at the gate. Now, I don't want you to start thinking about this like a gate to your backyard. In ancient times, the men would gather at the gate entering the city or the town, and it was kind of like a combination of city council, um, you know, it was like a chamber, the courtroom, it was all these things kind of wrapped up in one place. It's where all the esteemed men of the city uh, kind of hung out during the day. And this was where all the official business was transacted. And this is exactly what Boaz uh, was there because he knew that this other man or kinsman would be there also. So this man comes by, and this is what Boaz says to him. Look at verse 1. He says, come aside friend sit down here now actually this is quite funny in the hebrew language the word used here for friend doesn't really mean friend at all it actually means and i'm not kidding here it literally means mr so-and-so and the hebrew text is deliberately obscuring the name of this guy in other words, it's just the writer saying, look at I know this guy's name, but I'm not going to refer to him by it. I'm going to call him Mr. So-and-so now, which leads to the obvious question, why would he do that? Well, because this man didn't exactly fulfill his duty to Ruth. And so the writer of this text does not want to embarrass him. And so he just refers to him then as Mr. So-and-so. Now, I don't know about you, but I kind of find that funny. So Boaz says to Mr. So-and-so, come here, I need to talk to you about something. Look at verse 2, it says, And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. So are you all ready for this? The official business is about to be transacted. And verse 3 says, Then he said to the close relative, Mr. So-and-so, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. So you can just picture all of these men nodding. Yes, we remember Naomi and Elimelech. Now she's back. She sold the land. Okay, we understand what's going on. Verse 4, And I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know. For there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Now, do you understand what's going on here? This man just said, okay, I am going to exercise my option as kinsman redeemer. Now, I'm pretty sure both Ruth and Naomi were watching this as it was going. And if the movie's running in your head like it's running in mine right now, you can just see that camera slowly panning over to the woman at that moment. 
And I don't think you would have seen two more crestfallen women in your entire life. I mean, they must have felt absolutely devastated at this moment. She now must marry Mr. So-and-so because he exercised his right to do so. And this means she doesn't get to marry Boaz, who's the love of her life. But as the movie continues to run, you can just hear Ruth's questions. Boaz, what are you doing? Like, why did you have to present it to him in that way? I mean, why didn't you think of something more creative and clever? And while Ruth is stressing over this, it's like Boaz just looks over at her and winks. As if to say, you know what? I know something you don't know. Trust me, I got this. And I want you to look at verse 4 again, and I want you to notice something about the way Boaz presented to the man. Did you notice he only talked about the property? He never once mentioned Ruth, did he? He laid the bait regarding the land, and Mr. So-and-so immediately jumped at it. He presented it as if it was a property transaction, knowing how the man would respond. I mean, who wouldn't want to add you know, more land to their portfo- portfolio, right? And so just when Naomi and Ruth think that their hopes have been dashed into pieces, Boaz adds this little caveat in verse 5. Oh, by the way, Mr. So-and-so, <laughs> look at it here in verse 5. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. Now, can you just picture the face of the man as Boaz said this? Look, this was supposed to be a simple land transaction. Naomi's old. She doesn't, ha- you know, she can't have children anymore. I mean, I don't have any obligations. I don't have anything I need to do but enjoy my new acreage. And as soon as he mentioned that, he's thinking, if I take the property, then Ruth comes with that deal. And Ruth wants children to perpetuate the name of Elimelech. And now I must raise multiple kids. Because back then it was going to be plural. (laughs) I mean, he had to at least ensure that there was a son to perpetuate the name, right? And suddenly this becomes more of an issue to Mr. So-and-so. And it's very clear to see the wisdom of Boaz on display here. He framed this discussion perfectly. Well, let's see what the man's response is in verse 6. And the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. So now that this whole picture spelled out for him, he just goes, no thanks. Like, I'm not adding another wife and children to my family. I'm done with all of that. Boaz, I relinquish my right to you. 
And this is where all the people watching this movie just stand up and cheer. A huge smile comes over the face of both Naomi and Ruth. Love has triumphed. There will be a happily ever after. But I want you to notice two things before we move on this morning. The plan of Boaz seemed foolish at the beginning, didn't it? You don't get a man to refuse by offering the good part up front. You should tell him the bad part first. But it had a wonderful wisdom behind it, and the tears of Ruth and Naomi were soon dried up, and they were thrilled to live out the result. Excuse me for a second. We're definitely getting into that dry weather again, aren't we? You know, the other thing I think about when I read this is just looking at the differences between Boaz and Mr. So-and-so. Now, we don't get the impression that Mr. So-and-so is a particularly bad man, but we do understand that there is a huge difference between him and Boaz. And what was that? you got to understand, Boaz loved Ruth, right? Boaz was motivated by love. Boaz was thrilled to make whatever sacrifice was necessary to have Ruth and to bring her into his family. Mr. So-and-so did not have that same love towards Ruth. So he wasn't able to do um, the same thing. And we, I want you to keep that in mind as we continue through. Well, verse 7 tells us, Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning uh, redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything. One man took off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was a confirmation in Israel. Therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal. Now, if we look back in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 through 10, it describes the ceremony where a kinsman or goel declines his responsibility. And when he declined that responsibility, he was to take off the sandal and give it to the woman whom he was declining. And here in Deuteronomy, it also tells us that that woman then could spit in his face. Now, why do you think that was? The desire of this was to show that this was a disgraceful thing. To decline your responsibility as kinsman and redeemer. But here's the situation. It's not a disgrace here. Everybody's happy. Boaz is happy, Ruth is happy, Naomi's happy, Mr. So-and-so is happy, I'm sure Mrs. So-and-so is happy. Everybody's happy with all of this. So they end up skipping the spitting in the face part. 
They just do this little shoe exchange to seal the deal. And now in verse 9, Boaz gets to say publicly, I'm going to marry Ruth. Oh, happy day. (laughs) Verse 9, And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have brought all that are bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilean's and Malan's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malan, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate you are witnesses this day and by doing this publicly in front of these witnesses it became a legally binding transaction isn't that beautiful now ruth knows who she's going to marry that day you know i think back to chapter one when we first started naomi is on her way back to bethlehem and her two daughters-in-law were tagging along right we had ruth and orpah and naomi says listen my daughters i love you but you should go back to moab you're young women You should get married again. You have a much better chance of getting married in Moab than you ever will in Bethlehem. And from the outward appearance, that appeared to be good and sound advice, right? And Orpah took Naomi's advice and she went back to Moab. But what did Ruth say? You know what? I don't care if my prospects are worse. I'm with you. And moreover, I want to go with you because I want your God to be my God. And that was a critical turning point for Ruth. Because once she made the God of Israel her God and walked faithfully after him, you might even say that she walked recklessly with God. But God, oh, I love that. But God took care of all the needs in her life, didn't he? Isn't it wonderful when people can entrust such heavy things to the Lord? I mean, some things are easy for us to give to him. In fact, some things are so easy we don't even take the time to give it to them. But then there are some things where we run the risk of grabbing them right out of God's hand and doing it our own way. It's like we don't want to trust the Lord. Friends, this was very hard for Ruth, but she trusted God in the midst of it. And they did things the right way. And God did not disappoint her in the least, did he? Well, this is the blessing of it all. Here in verse 11 and 12, it says, And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel, and may you uh, prosper in Ephrathah. 
and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. So Boaz and Ruth are married. And the people are all there to celebrate with them. What a beautiful love story. But I really don't want you to miss the point. This wasn't about love and romance. It was something about even more. This was about providing a destiny and a future for Ruth, right? It all started that way. Well, mission accomplished. Her future was secure now. She had a godly, loving man that she was attached to. She had a hope now where she once had no hope. And now the people bless her. And, and let me just summarize this blessing for you. Look, when they say that Rachel and Leah built the house of Israel, they mean this. They had 13 children between them whom became the 12 tribes of Israel. There's other women that are mentioned there as well. So what they're really saying is Ruth and Boaz, we want you to go out and have a whole bunch of babies. We want you to go and be fruitful and multiply. Don't just pass on the line. Like, have a lot of them. And while in every good love story, there needs to be that happily ever after section, right? Verse 13, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. You know, I really like that phrase, the Lord gave her conception. You know, the gift of children was never taken for granted in Israel and the fact that Boaz and Ruth were able to raise up a son for the deceased Elimelech that was evidence that God was blessing this marriage this family verse 14 then the women said to Naomi blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative and may his name be famous in Israel and may he be to you a restorer of life and a nurse a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you who is better to you than seven sons has borne him then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. You know, it's been all about Ruth and Boaz. But now in verse 14, the, the focus shifts back to Naomi. And I want you to think back about Naomi. Do you remember the Naomi of chapter 1? The Naomi, don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. The Naomi, the Lord has afflicted me. The Lord has blocked me. The Lord has brought me low. She was like the female version of Job in the Old Testament, at least in her mind. But now, look at what the women say to Naomi. 
This is precious. You're blessed by the Lord. You're famous in Israel. You're restored in life. You're nourished in old age. You've got a daughter-in-law who loves you. Oh, and by the way, you get to be nurse to your own grandson. Blessing upon blessing. Joy upon joy. And why has it all happened? It's all because of that great testimony we see in verse 14. That the Lord has not left you this day without a close relative. A goel. A redeemer. A kinsman. You know, it's very appropriate that here at the end of the book of Ruth that all of these blessings are given so much attention. And they all began because Naomi, a poor widow, wanted to get back right with God. And this whole story springs from that. And from this whole drama... God's plan of glory and redemption is put into motion. Do you understand that? Because please understand, your salvation today is connected back to when Naomi got right with God. Did you know that? And I'm not talking symbolically here. I mean that literally. When Naomi made the decision to come back to God, that one pebble in the pool, so to speak, sent waves that have touched you and I today. You know, there's some of you this morning, either here or watching online, and you need to get back right with God. You need to trust God in a way that he's been calling you to trust him. And maybe you've been resisting that call. That call that he has on your life. Maybe there's an area of disobedience in your life. Maybe you've neglected your walk with him. Maybe you're even deceived into thinking, like, what does it matter? I mean, what difference would my life even make in the grand scheme of things? And maybe you're feeling like Naomi did, that the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. And maybe you've just lost hope. Friends, if Naomi could have seen how greatly the Lord would bless her at the end, she would never have been saying that. She would have had hope and so can you. We need to learn the lessons of Naomi. That God's plan is perfect. God's plan is filled with love. And even when we can't figure out what God's doing, even when we feel afflicted, even when it seems so desperate, God still knows what He's doing. Amen? God can redeem every situation. Paul wrote in Romans 8.28, and we know that verse. And we know that all things work together.
together for good. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Well, let's conclude this chapter, shall we? Verse 17. Also, the neighbor women gave him a name saying, there is born, uh, there is a son born to Naomi and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now this is the geolon, uh, ge- genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron, Hezron begot Ram, and Ram begot Aminadab. Aminadab begot Nashan, Nashan begot Salmon, Salmon begot Boaz, and Boaz begot Obed, Obed begot Jesse, Jesse begot David. Did you see that? Ruth and Boaz had a son named Obed. And Obed had a son named Jesse. And Jesse had a son named David, a.k.a. King David. And you know what? King David had a descendant in his line, and his name was Jesus. And that's how what Naomi did touches our lives today. You see, Naomi's return to Bethlehem and the roots of David in Bethlehem go all the way back to Ruth and Boaz. That is why Joseph and Mary had to travel down from Nazareth all the way to Bethlehem for Jesus to be born there because the Messiah was foretold to that he would come from Bethlehem. And none of those events would have happened if Ruth hadn't come back to the Lord and went to Bethlehem. That's significant. But this morning, I want you to look beyond that biological connection with Ruth and Boaz. I want you to look beyond that geographical geographical connection with Bethlehem as a place. And I want you to see Jesus as our kinsman and our redeemer. Jesus is our Boaz. And we are like Ruth. Jesus is this godly man who's full of kindness and love and compassion, who has the resources and the love to save us. And we're like Ruth. We're the foreigners. We're the outcasts. We're the people who have nothing. We have no hope. We have no future. And our past doesn't look all that good either. And that's why we need a Savior like Boaz to come along. Well, let me tell you something. The kinsman redeemer, Boaz, had to be a family member, right? You couldn't just have somebody come from the outside from another tribe. He had to be related to the family by family, by blood. And so Jesus is related to you. But do you understand what Jesus did 
so that he could be your kinsman redeemer. Jesus, the second member of the Trinity, of the Godhead in heaven, he added humanity to his divine character and nature and became fully God and fully man. And he did this so that he could save you and me. So like Boaz, Jesus had the duty of buying back the land that was forfeited. He came to redeem the earth. Like Boaz, he was not motivated by self-interest, but by a genuine love. Like Boaz, Jesus' plan looked kind of foolish to begin with. I mean, death on a cross? Paul called it the cross is foolish to those that are perishing. Like Boaz, Jesus takes us, his church, as his bride. And finally, like Boaz, Jesus provides for us a glorious destination. That it all comes back to the idea of Jesus as our kinsman redeemer. And that's why he became a man. You know, theoretically, God could have sent an angel to save us. Theoretically. But an angel wouldn't have been related to us, right? So an angel couldn't have been our kinsman redeemer. Theoretically, God could have raised up a prophet to save us. But a prophet carried the same stain of sin that you and I have. So the prophet is in the same quicksand that you and I are trapped in. So he had to be fully God and fully man so that he could bridge the gap between the divine and the human. And Jesus does this. And he can be our kinsman and our redeemer. God did it for Ruth and Boaz, and he will do it for us as well. Let's pray. Father, what a beautiful picture. of the love that you have for us, the way that you redeemed us, the way that you just showed that love towards us. You didn't force the love upon us like we learned last week. You waited for Ruth to come to Boaz. You wait for us to come to you. I'm so grateful for this beautiful picture of the relationship that you want to have with us individually and corporately as your bride because of the incredible love that you showed towards us. Because of the sacrifice you were willing to go through to redeem us, to buy us back. 
And Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters that are here and those that are watching in, Lord. Lord, I don't know their hearts. I don't know where they're at with their walk with you. I don't know the struggles that they're going through, but you do. And you care. And you love them. And you want to meet them right where they're at right now. If the Lord's speaking to you right now, and you'd like me to pray for you as we close here in prayer, I just want you to just raise your hand up quickly. Just put it up and bring it down. Lord, I need to meet with you. Lord, I want you to do a work in my heart. I want to come back to you. I want you to use me the way that you used Ruth. Thank you, Lord. And so, Father, you know our hearts. Continue to work. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we close.